Chapter Thirty Seven, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Thirty Seven, Part Two. Here he found Bortolo still in good health and in less apprehension of losing it, for in those few days. Things had here also rapidly taken a favorable turn. New cases of illness had become rare, and the malady was no longer what it had been. There were no longer those fatal blotches nor violent symptoms, but slight fevers, for the most part intermittent, with, at the worst, a discolored spot, which was cured like an ordinary tumor. The face of the country seemed already changed. The survivors began to come forth to reckon up their numbers and mutually to exchange condolences and congratulations. There was already a talk of resuming business again. Such masters as survived already began to look out for and bespeak workmen, and principally in those branches of art where the number had been scarce even before the contagion, as was that of silk weaving. Renzo, without any display of levity, promised his cousin, with the proviso, however, that he obtained all due consent, to resume his employment when he could come in company to settle himself in the country. In the meanwhile, he gave orders for the most necessary preparations. He provided a more spacious dwelling, a task become only too easy to execute at a small cost, and furnished it with all necessary articles, this time breaking into his little treasure, but without making any very great hole in it, for of everything there was a superabundance at a very moderate price. In the course of a few days he returned to his native village, which he found still more signally changed for the better. He went over immediately to Pasturo. There he found Agnese in good spirits again, and ready to return home as soon as might be, so that he accompanied her thither at once nor will we attempt to describe what were their feelings and words on again beholding those scenes together. Agnese found everything as she had left it, so that she was forced to declare that, considering it was a poor widow and her daughter, the angels had kept guard over it. And that other time, added she, when it might have been thought that the Lord was looking elsewhere and thought not of us, since he suffered all our little property to be carried away, yet, after all, he showed us the contrary, for he sent me from another quarter that grand store of money which enabled me to restore everything. I say everything, but I am wrong, since Lucia's wedding clothes, which were stolen among the rest, good and complete as they were at first, were still wanting, and behold, now they come to us in another direction." Who would have told me, when I was working so busily to prepare those others, you think you are working for Lucia? Nay, my good woman, you are working for you know not whom. Heaven knows what sort of being will wear this veil and all those clothes. Those for Lucia, the real wedding dress which is to serve for her, will be provided by a kind soul whom you know not, nor even that there is such a person." Agnese's first care was to prepare for this kind soul the most comfortable accommodations her poor little cottage could afford. Then she went to procure some silk to wind, and thus, employed with her reel, 
beguiled the wearisome hours of delay. Renzo, on his part, suffered not these days, long enough in themselves, to pass away in idleness. Fortunately, he understood two trades, and of these two chose that of a laborer. He partly helped his kind host, who considered it particularly fortunate, at such a time, to have a workman frequently at his command, and a workman, too, of his abilities, and partly cultivated and restored to order Agnese's little garden, which had completely run wild during her absence. As to his own property, he never thought about it at all, because, he said, it was too entangled a periwig, and wanted more than one pair of hands to set it to rights again. He did not even set foot into it, still less into his house. It would have pained him too much to see its desolation, and he had already resolved to dispose of everything at whatever price, and to spend in his new country all that he could make by the sale. If the survivors of the plague were to one another resuscitated, as it were, he, to his fellow countrymen, was, so to say, doubly so. Everyone welcomed and congratulated him, everyone wanted to hear from him his story. The reader will perhaps say, how went on the affair of his outlawry? It went on very well. He scarcely thought anything more about it, supposing that they who could have enforced it would no longer think about it themselves. Nor was he mistaken. This arose not merely from the pestilence which had thwarted so many undertakings, but, as may have been seen in more than one place in this story, it was a common occurrence in those days that special as well as general orders against persons, unless there were some private and powerful animosity to keep them alive and render them availing, often continued without taking effect, if they had not done so on their first promulgation, like musket-balls, which, if they strike no blow, lie quietly upon the ground without giving molestation to any one. A necessary consequence of the extreme facility with which these orders were flung about, both right and left. Man's activity is limited, and whatever excess there was in the making of regulations must have produced so much greater a deficiency in the execution of them. What goes into the sleeves cannot go into the skirt. If anyone wants to know how Renzo got on with Don Abondio during this interval of expectation, I need only say that they kept at a respectful distance from each other, the latter for fear of hearing a whisper about the wedding, and at the very thought of such a thing his imagination conjured up Don Rodrigo with his bravos on the one side, and the cardinal with his arguments on the other, and the former, because he had resolved not to mention it to him till the very last moment, being unwilling to run the risk of making him restive beforehand, of stirring up, who could tell, some difficulty, and of entangling things by useless chit-chat. All his chit-chat was with Agnese. Do you think she'll come soon? one would ask. I hope so, would the other reply, and frequently the one who had given the answer would not long afterwards make the same inquiry. With these and similar cheats they endeavored to beguile the time, which seemed to them longer and longer in proportion as more passed away. We will make the reader, however, pass over all this period in one moment, by briefly stating that, a few days after Renzo's visit to the lazaretto, Lucia left it with the kind widow. 
that a general quarantine having been enjoined they kept it together in the house of the latter that part of the time was spent in preparing lucia's wardrobe at which after sundry ceremonious objections she was obliged to work herself and that the quarantine having expired the widow left her warehouse and dwelling under the custody of her brother the commissioner and prepared to set off on her journey with lucia we could too speedily add they set off arrived and all the rest but with all our willingness to accommodate ourselves to this haste of the readers there are three things appertaining to this period of time which we are not willing to pass over in silence and with two at least we believe the reader himself will say that we should have been to blame in so doing the first is that when lucia returned to relate her adventures to the good widow more in particular and with greater order than she could do in her agitation of mind when she first confided them to her and when she more expressly mentioned the senora who had given her shelter in the monastery at monza she learned from her friend things which by giving her the key of many mysteries filled her mind with melancholy and fearful astonishment she learned from the widow that the unhappy lady having fallen under suspicion of most atrocious conduct had been conveyed by order of the cardinal to a monastery at milan that there after long indulgence in rage and struggles she had repented and confessed her faults and that her present life was one of such voluntary inflictions that no one except by depriving her of that life entirely could have invented a severer punishment for her should any one wish to be more particularly acquainted with this melancholy history he will find it in the work and at the place which we have elsewhere quoted in relation to this same person the other fact is that lucia after making inquiries about father cristoforo of all the capuchins she could meet with in the lazaretto heard there with more sorrow than surprise that he had died of the pestilence lastly before leaving milan she wished also to ascertain something about her former patrons and to perform as she said an act of duty if any yet remained the widow accompanied her to the house where they learned that both one and the other had been carried off with the multitude when we have said of doña Presede that she was dead we have said all but don ferrante considering that he was a man of erudition is deemed by our anonymous author worthy of more extended mention and we at our own risk will transcribe as nearly as possible what he has left on record about him he says then that on the very first whisper of pestilence don ferrante was one of the most resolute and ever afterwards one of the most persevering in denying it not indeed with loud clamors like the people but with arguments of which at least no one could complain that they wanted concatenation in rerum natura he used to say there are but two species of things substances and accidents and if i prove that the contagion cannot be either one or the other i shall have proved that it does not exist that it is a mere chimera here i am then substances are either spiritual or material that the contagion is a spiritual substance is an absurdity no one would venture to maintain it is needless therefore to speak of it material substances are either simple or compound now the contagion is not a simple substance 
and this may be shown in a few words. It is not an ethereal substance, because if it were, instead of passing from one body to another, it would fly off as quickly as possible to its own sphere. It is not aqueous, because it would wet things and be dried up by the wind. It is not igneous, because it would burn. It is not earthy, because it would be visible. Neither is it a compound substance, because it must by all means be sensible to the sight and touch. And who has seen this contagion? Who has touched it? It remains to be seen whether it can be an accident. Worse and worse. These gentlemen, the doctors, say that it is communicated from one body to another. For this is their Achilles, this the pretext for issuing so many useless orders. Now supposing it an accident, it comes to this, that it must be a transitive accident, two words quite at variance with each other, there being no plainer or more established fact in the whole of philosophy than this, that an accident cannot pass from one subject to another. For if, to avoid this scylla, we shelter ourselves under the assertion that it is an accident produced, we fly from Scylla and run upon Charybdis, because if it be produced, then it is not communicated, it is not propagated, as people go about affirming. These principles being laid down, what use is it to come talking to us so about wheels, pustules, and carbuncles? All absurdities, once escaped from somebody or other. No, no, resumed Don Ferrante, I don't say so, science is science, only we must know how to employ it. Wheels, pustules, carbuncles, parotides, violaceous tumors, black swellings, are all respectable words, which have their true and legitimate signification. But I say that they don't affect the question at all. Who denies that there may be such things, nay, that there actually are such? All depends upon seeing where they come from. Here began the woes even of Don Ferrante. So long as he confined himself to declaiming against the opinion of a pestilence, he found everywhere willing, obliging, and respectful listeners. For it cannot be expressed how much authority the opinion of a learned man by profession carries with it, while he is attempting to prove to others things of which they are already convinced. But when he came to distinguish and to try and demonstrate that the error of these physicians did not consist in affirming that there was a terrible and prevalent malady, but in assigning its rules and causes, then, I am speaking of the earliest times, when no one would listen to a word about pestilence, then, instead of listeners, he found rebellious and intractable opponents. Then there was no room for speechifying, and he could no longer put forth his doctrines but by scraps and piecemeal. There's the true reason only too plainly after all, said he, and even they are compelled to acknowledge it, who maintain that other empty proposition besides. Let them deny, if they can, that fatal conjunction of Saturn with Jupiter. And when was it ever heard say that influences may be propagated? And would these gentlemen deny the existence of influences? Will they deny that there are stars, or tell me that they are placed up there for no purpose, like so many pinheads stuck into a pincushion? But what I cannot understand about these doctors is this, to confess that we are under so malignant a conjunction, and then to come and tell us with eager face 
don't touch this and don't touch that and you'll be safe, as if this avoiding of material contact with terrestrial bodies could hinder the virtual effect of celestial ones, and such anxiety about burning old clothes. Poor people! Will you burn Jupiter? Will you burn Saturn? His freedus, that is to say, on these grounds, he used no precautions against the pestilence, took it, went to bed, and went to die, like one of Mustacio's heroes quarreling with the stars. And that famous library of his? Perhaps it is still there, distributed around his walls. End of chapter 37, part 2